Hey, this is Robert from Washington, D.C. Hi, I'm Jimmy from Los Angeles. Hi, this is Hannah from Los Angeles. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Nicholas Winding Refn, grew up in the world of cinema. His father, Anders, edited the Danish classics Breaking the Waves and Dancer in the Dark for director Lars von Trier, among dozens of other films. He grew up in Denmark, but spent his teenage years in New York City. He briefly attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts before being expelled... Uh, allegedly for throwing a chair into a wall, and passed up one of six slots at the very prestigious Danish Film Institute when he had the opportunity to develop what had been his application short film into a feature. That movie, Pusher, went on to become a European cult crime classic. His new film is his first American production. It's called Drive. It won Ref in the directing prize at the Cannes Film Festival. Its nearly silent protagonist, played by Ryan Gosling, is a professional stunt driver by day and a getaway driver by night. It's a movie that's uh, somehow both brutal and serene. And because the main character almost never talks, it's tough for us to encapsulate with a clip of dialogue. So instead, suffice it to say that on those evenings when he isn't committing a crime, the protagonist, called The Driver, cruises the roads of Los Angeles, listening to music like this. Nicholas, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Thank you. It's really great to have you uh, on the show. I want to ask you, uh, having only seen one passing reference to you throwing a chair into a wall at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, I thought I would go to the horse's mouth and find out uh, what what got you booted. Well, it was a table instead of a chair. (laughs) But, you know, it was great because I hated authority anyway, so... It didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to be, but that was maybe good because if it hadn't, I maybe wouldn't be sitting here. So I was the happiest person smashing a table into the wall and being told that that was unacceptable. I read somewhere that the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the movie that made you want to make movies, which I thought was particularly interesting in, in light of the fact that your your dad was an editor and director. Well, um, I mean, I grew up in New York with my mother and my stepfather, who are photographers. You know, growing up in a, what you would call a Scandinavian socialistic household of upper-class New York, you know, anything that was actually American was considered fascist, and <laughs> anything that was Europe was great, especially European cinema, you know, of the 60s, the French New Wave, and so forth. So, you know, growing up, if you couldn't rebel with your music, because my mother had, you know, photographed Jimi Hendrix and so forth, I uh, I turned to genre movies as a, as my rebel without a cause, and uh, that would surely get them pumped because they thought it was the most vilest thing of going to see, and 
tracking down extreme cinema, but it wasn't really until I was 14 and I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a double feature in New York at Cinema Village that I realized to me that film was an art form. But I've always been very fascinated by images. I Maybe it had to do with that I'm dyslexic and I didn't learn to read until I was 13. So images became very much my understanding of storytelling. Um, You're also colorblind, right? Yes, I'm colorblind. I can't see mid-color, so that's why all my films are very contrasted, because or else I can't see it. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Nicholas Winding Refn, the director of Drive. This is a film that originally was brought to you by Ryan Gosling, who's the star of the movie. Did he tell you at the time why he wanted to meet with you? Yes, uh, I recall, but I was so stoned that I couldn't remember what he said to me. (laughs) It seems like a bad idea to get stoned when you're about to meet with a huge movie star. Well, it was a little more complex because, um, you know, I had had no aspirations of working in Hollywood. You know, I I didn't, it's not something that I set out to do. I was perfectly content in you know, you know, staying in Europe and, and making the kind of films I make in that arena. But I guess after Valhalla Rising, um, I kind of felt maybe I should try to do a movie in Los Angeles, you know. Maybe it wouldn't be that bad. And also, it would be an interesting obstacle to work within because it would probably be in a much more controlled environment than I was used to. And I, uh, I was offered a script by Paul Schrader, uh, that Paul had written called The Dying of the Light. And I'd, I'd actually gotten Harrison Ford to play the lead. So I was really into doing a movie where I got to kill Harrison Ford. <laughs> and then, you know, as guess it always does in Hollywood, it begins to unravel. Right when you thought it was there, it begins to unravel. And, you know, suddenly... You know, Harrison didn't want to die, maybe, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, damn it, you know. I postponed my own film back in Europe and gone to Hollywood and, of course, ended up in just development hell. While this was going on, I would come to L.A. at four days a trip because I just got a new child and I couldn't be away for a long time. Um, But one of the times that I came in at a critical point in the collapse of Dying of the Light... I'd gotten the flu coming in, so I was um, was pretty out of it. But Harrison got me these anti-flu drugs. I don't do drugs anymore, and I haven't done for a long time, so um, it didn't take a whole lot of American anti-flu drugs to make me high as a kite. Just the idea of Harrison Ford getting you some special drugs that only Harrison Ford has access to... It's sort of like getting amphetamines from Elvis or something like that. Yeah. If you think about it, it's like the perfect party, you know. So (laughs) (laughs) I was there and, and, you know, just everything was just unraveling and I was just so out of it at the same time. It was kind of surreal. And then I got a call um, asking if I would have time to have dinner with Ryan Gosling. And uh, I'd never met him and, and, you know, we've never crossed paths. So I was, yeah, sure, why not? So that morning, you know, uh, they sent a script over um, called Drive that I read, but I couldn't remember it because I was so stoned when I read it. 
And I got in a taxi and I came to the restaurant and Ryan was already there because um, I couldn't find a restaurant, so I was quite delayed. And uh, Ryan was terrific. He was so courteous, so respectful, nice, professional, uh, and I was just completely zoned out. <laughs> so it was basically impossible to have a conversation about anything besides we talked, I think we talked about music and his films, a little bit about my films. And after dinner, I asked him to take me home because uh, I can't drive a car and I just needed a ride home, which, of course, was a strange thing to do because it was like a blind date. I was about to go terribly wrong. <laughs> so uh, he was like, yeah, absolutely, sure, if you know, he would, he would drop me off. But it was all the way in Santa Monica, which is quite a long trip. So we got into his car and we were driving along the highway and um, this awkward silence and... You know, I I had great amount. You know, I I liked him so much. I liked I I, could, I I even though I was out of it, I knew that there was you know that the man was very unique in his aura around him. So uh, we're sitting there in silence, and um, Ryan turns on the radio to break the silence. And R. Speedwagon's "I Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore" starts to play. I am I'm very emotionable because you're both ill and high at the same time like you have a fever and you're you know flying as a kite you know I, I actually start to sing the song because I love RSB I love that song it reminds me of my youth like very almost brought me down memory lane of New York where I grew up and and then a strange it's very much an LA song in a way you know a driving song and so here I am you know, singing this song really loudly in the car, obnoxiously, and, and, and then I start to cry. I turned to Ryan for the really first time, and I looked at him in the car, and I just screamed in his face, I know what drive is. It's going to be about a man who drives around in a car at night listening to pop music, because that's his emotional relief. And Ryan very quickly just caught up on that and just, nodded, you know, and was like, got it, I'm in. And we know and we did it. More with director Nick Winding Raffin after a break. It's the sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Rodeo International. Production of the Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter, Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Nicholas Winding Refn, the director of Drive. It's a moody thriller starring Ryan Gosling as a stunt driver by day and getaway driver by night who gets involved in a heist gone wrong. I want to play a scene from the movie. Uh, this is one of the one of the only scenes with enough uh, Ryan Gosling dialogue for it to qualify for being played on the radio. <laughs> um, in this scene, uh, Ryan Gosling is working at a garage that is owned by a character played by Brian Cranston, uh, who folks might know from Breaking Bad, and um, uh, the character I- Irene, uh, who becomes his love interest, ha- has just met him but um, sort of conveniently comes back in with a, a car problem. He's a good guy. You know, he walked into my shop here about five or six years ago, uh, right out of the blue, asking for a job. So I 
put him to the test, see what he can do. Kid's amazing. So I hire him on the spot. Boom. At about half the wages I normally pay. He didn't blink an eye. Hey, kid, come over here for a second, will you? And I have been exploiting him ever since. <laughs> Shh, don't tell him. Look, looks like we have a bigger problem than I thought. We're gonna have to keep the car here for a few days. So I offered your services to take Benicio and Irene home. That be okay? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't have wheels in my car. <laughs> okay. That's one thing you should know about me. We'll put the tires on. You got five minutes? Yeah. Ryan Gosling's character in the film is very, very quiet. There are very few lines of dialogue for Ryan Gosling. Was that the case when you got the script that had been being developed as a a more traditional action movie starring Hugh Jackman for a long time? Well, that was, it was a different kind of character at that, at that point when Ryan and I began to, you know, rethink it um, with Haas. It was really about a lot that, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to do a fairy tale in Los Angeles in terms of building characters that were larger than life. And the driver in my film becomes a larger than life aspect because his silence is what it what makes him, um, you know, an enigma. That he is a man who has no past, and as Ryan said, that he didn't see this guy as a man who did small talk. You know, he didn't engage in conversation unless he was asked or needed for something, because he's in a sense completely separated from the world. And that also eliminated a lot of dialogue, because then there was no point in a lot of conversations, which was good because. Silence in a movie like this is sometimes so much more engaging, especially when you have action, because action is all visuals and emotions. And the idea that the driver is half man, half machine, which means that, you know, by night he's somebody else, and by day he's human being, and at night he's a hero. Hence one of the songs in the film. And the idea that through the movie he transforms himself into a hero, uh, and that kind of a character is very similar to the characters in my previous movies. So it is a kind of transformation theme that I've been subconsciously very obsessed with. Let's hear uh, a little bit of the song that ends up being kind of like a, a, a closing title theme for the film. It's called A Real Hero. It's by College.
The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the Danish director, Nicholas Winding Refn. His new film is Drive. It takes place in Los Angeles and mixes elements of noir, fairy tales, and 1970s and 80s genre film. Makes sense. You are from uh, originally from Copenhagen. You lived in New York City. You don't have a driver's license. And so... As a guy who grew up in San Francisco, in like urban San Francisco, and moved to Los Angeles, I can only imagine what being tossed into the weird world of Los Angeles was like. There's a lot of hyper-reality in L.A. and a lot of simulacra, and it's just a weird place. Um, And it's so central in this movie um, what was it that made you want to take this fairy tale idea and put it specifically in Los Angeles and not say, you know, I don't know, the de- out in the desert of Utah or Chicago or something like that? It was the sensibility that Los Angeles was almost like the backdrop because it was this illusioned world that the uh, Ryan Gosling character lives in. And... Um, I was kind of like, there was also a personal kind of uh, need to experience Hollywood in its pure form as a European filmmaker. Because coming to America, I felt, well, I might as well go all the way. <laughs> so I wanted, you know, a house in the hills with a swimming pool and an orange tree. And um, At one point, you had an editing suite at the house Carrie Mulligan was living at the house because she was in town and didn't have a house in L.A. Ryan Gosling was sort of living in the house. And you were all just kind of like getting up in the morning. And I don't even I I don't understand exactly the chronology. But in my mind, Ryan Gosling was building the car that he drove. You were rewriting the script. It's it sounded insane to me. But insane in a wonderful way because it was all, it was very collaborative in a sense that it was all about how we could entangle with each other. You know, it was like pure 70s filmmaking. All we needed was a lot of cocaine and <laughs> we'd been an all-nighter. I think that, you know, especially when my parents came and stayed with us, then there was really a full house. <laughs> With, you know, two editors, three editors, and my parents, and my kids, and my wife, and friends, and Carrie, and Ryan, and everybody else was, you know, always open to come by. Um, it it kind of created a little bubble for us. You know, we had our little own world, and Ryan Gosling and I would always go drive around at night, you know, living the characters we were kind of developing the film, and you know, eating at the 101, which is a famous diner that was near my house. And and, I, and the, the, the house was on Bronson Avenue, which was ironic, you know, because I made a film called Bronson. So there were so many things that was like living the illusion of Hollywood, which very much transpired into the film. I find as a, as a city guy that Los Angeles is an alienating place for me. I feel separated from everything. Um, And I wonder if you felt that way about Los Angeles Um, when you moved here, if if you felt that weird separation from the world around you. Well, because L.A. is all about movement of cars, 
or being in houses, it automatically separates you from each other. And so what's weird about L.A., it's like either you move or you sit still. But the interaction with human being is always an effort you have to drive to. It's not like New York or Paris or London where, or Chicago or uh, so forth, where you basically just walk out this, the door and you're surrounded by millions of people. That automatically interacts with you. But that was what was so unique about Los Angeles and um, why I very much enjoyed my time there was that it was a bit like strange in a strange land. It was like coming to a science fiction world where nothing really seemed real. Everything still looked like that we were back in the 80s. It's very much a city that hasn't left the 80s. The film does have that... 80s feeling, not just because of the music. It reminded me a lot of um, what I think is is maybe, I, I'm not a great cinephile, but maybe Michael Mann's first movie, Thief, with, with James Caan. That mm-hmm. quality that Mann does so well of, of quiet passage through the world. And that, that idea of executing your job calmly, silently, and, and kind of beautifully. Once the fairy tale nature was incorporated, it automatically set the film out of place and time because the characters themselves play archetypes. But because the city of L.A. still feels very much like an 80s arena and combining that with a European electronic score uh, that Cliff Martinez composed, which is very feminine and has a very much like a retro sensibility to it, kind of transports you into a time where you can't really define it. Even though they have cell phones and text messages and emails, its technology is not a big part of the film. Uh, Albert Brooks plays a movie producer who produced films in the 80s, you know. Ron Perlman wears a tracksuit and runs a pizzeria in the valley. So a lot of it had a reminiscent of the past, in a way. But that's okay. You know, that's what mythology is. It's, it's about the past, in a sense. And, you know, if you look at films of Melville or Serge Leone or... Sam Peckinpah or, um, you know, Michael Mann, a lot of it deals with heroes that have difficulties connecting to our world. And, and clearly Driver is within that category. In fact, it seems like his deepest connections, many of his deepest connections are to objects and cl- clothes. I mean, not just his car, but his... His gloves, his driving gloves, his, the the satin baseball jacket that he wears. Well, you can kind of say that he's he's pure fetish. But then I'm a fetish filmmaker, so I can only shoot what I like to see. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Nicholas Winding Refn, the director of Drive. I want to ask you... Um, 
about Albert Brooks in this movie. He, he's essentially the, the primary villain in the film. And he is, um, you know, Albert Brooks is a, certainly a, a hero of mine and, and probably uh, one of the, you know, 10 or 20 greatest comic minds of the past 50 years. And he is not someone who I think of as scary, um, but he's very scary in the film. And I wonder how his name even came up for consideration when there are obviously a thousand different scary guys in Hollywood who whose primary characteristic is that they're scary and they look scary on screen and they sound scary when they talk. And you could have just picked one of those dudes. Well, I mean, Hollywood casting is a lot about lists, you know, the financiers will, uh, you know, like to do lists of people that they would consider commercially in various setups. And uh, there were a lot of great actors that were suggested to me that, you know, are very scary and had played a similar role and therefore knowingly could do it again. So in theory, all that is perfect, and yet it is also wrong because, you know, the, one of the surprises, I mean, I've always, I always wanted Albert Brooks. You know, he was my first thought, just, and, and I'm not an expert on Albert Brooks. I mean, I, I live in Copenhagen. I, I just remember him a little bit from the 80s in New York uh, when I was a teenager. I just like the idea that, that Albert Brooks was always your first choice. Like, ever since I saw mm. The Scout, I wanted to make a movie with Albert Brooks as the bad guy or something like that. Well, it was more like the sense that I've, I, I just, the, the, the idea was, you know, when I came up with his name in my head, it was more like, that is somebody that could be fun to work with. Clearly, he had the acting ability to, to do it. That was certainly not the issue. And he had the physique to be quite frightening in a sense that he's the kind of guy who would stab you in the back with a, with a razor, you know. <laughs> um, but what's more what really cemented my belief in that it would work is that he was like a volcano of emotions. And Albert, of course, had never played a bad guy or killed anybody in a movie. So that was also a fun way to to surprise the audience because they wouldn't predict how this was going to turn out. There's something you can see when you l look into his eyes, especially in the film, and, and it's the combination of... Um, it's the combination of brilliant intelligence. I mean, you can just look at Albert Brooks's eyes and see that he's brilliant. And a, a ferociousness, which is, it's funny because it it is the qualities of, it, it is the qualities of a movie producer. It is also the qualities of a murderous gangster. Yeah, I mean, when I kind of, you know, after I spent an hour with him in the morning, having coffee, um, I kind of felt that this guy was essentially going to kill somebody. <laughs> so let's do it in a movie. 
and and then I uh, and that's how he that's how I offered him the part. You have a lot of experience directing brutal violence. It's been an element of a lot of your films. Do you feel like you have a sense of what a certain kind or degree or length of violence will do to an audience or or how how it will affect an audience? I felt physically, frankly, affected by the violence in the film. And I thought that must be a choice. <laughs> well, it's not that I, I plan, like, I do a mathematical equation. I mean, I do believe art is an act of violence, you know. What do you mean by that? Well, it's, art is, is meant to penetrate you. And violence doesn't have to be an act of physical violence. It can be an emotional violence. And it doesn't have to be destructive. It just has to penetrate you, which can be a violent emotion, but not necessarily a bad one. You know, you know, the DNA of art and war is very similar. And it's two very powerful forces in our world that takes up a lot of our time. But where war destroys... You know, art inspires. And in my film, I always approach violence like sex. That it's all about the build-up. You know, the climax itself is a mechanical procedure that we as an audience know is not true. So my job is to make the build-up so engaging so whatever happens in front of us actually affects us, but it only affects us because we believe the emotion before it. Um, and, and, you know, the characters that I go through, you know, a lot of my moves, violence is part of their catharsis. They have to go through extreme pain and suffering in order to obtain what they were meant to be. Well, Nicholas, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. Thank you very much for having me. Director Nicholas Winding Refn won the directing prize at the Cannes Film Festival for his film Drive, which will uh, be released in American theaters September 16th. It stars Ryan Gosling and a host of other brilliant folks, and it is uh, by turns... uh, Uh, beautiful and uh, brutal and really a remarkable film. Thanks again for coming on the show, Nicholas. Thank you. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor, Nick White. Our music is provided by Dan Wally. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can download the free podcast of this and every Sound of Young America program, as well as lots of other great shows. It's all free. It's all online at MaximumFun.org. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me. My own actual email address is jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. Email me on any subject except grammar. Nobody like get grammar email. We'll see you online and next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.